All right, guys, welcome back to our final teaching in the book of Philippians. Now, the last time we were here, we were in chapter three, and let's just simply review chapter three as a whole. And this is when Paul was trying to warn the Philippians against oncoming Judaizers who may come into the church and try to teach the Philippians who were basically Gentiles to try to teach them that they need to become circumcised and keepers of the law of Moses. And for this reason, Paul gave them so many negative names as we see in uh, verse number two, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers or false circumcision, which the word is actually flesh mutilators. So this negativeness was given to them because they were teaching, uh, going about, especially following after Paul, as Paul would establish churches among, amongst the Gentiles. They would teach these Gentiles that their salvation was not perfect or complete because they had not been circumcised and keepers of the law of Moses. And Paul would be very adamant against such practices because he would always teach that faith in Jesus Christ was sufficient and absolutely necessary. It, this and this alone was only necessary for salvation. So he was warning the Philippians to be aware of these false Jewish teachers. And as he continued on, he began to talk about, uh, to infer that one of their reasons for this was because of their pride. And in speaking against their pride, Paul began to speak about such things that he once had in his life that he too could consider to be prideful. And that's when he talked about his former manner of life and his pedigree and all of these things to the, which Paul now counted as nothing to be refused since he has come into the faith of Jesus Christ. And in this salvation that Jesus has granted Paul, he counts everything lost so that he may attain to all that the Lord Jesus has given unto him, has desired, has put, put before him. We'll talk about that. And so as he looked back on his past life, uh, considered it to be nothing. He looked forward to that life that he had in Christ Jesus. And this is when he gets to that great point, pressing toward the mark for the high call of God. And this, when he talks about the perfection or sanctification, that is trying to live a sinless life for Jesus. He admits that he had not attained to that goal. And we understand in the teaching of Paul, we'll never attain true spiritual perfection, but nevertheless, he was striving for this goal that God has set in front of him. And thus he encouraged the Philippians to do the same thing, to strive for uh, sanctified lives. And when we say sanctified lives, it means lives that are set apart to exercise holiness and righteousness that the Lord has decreed for us to do. All right. And then ultimately understanding that our citizenship is in heaven. So therefore we look for the completion of all of these things. The, the when I say all of these things, that is when the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is what Paul intimated, comes from heaven and transform our bodies into a glorious body that is similar to his 
a body that will in that day be sinless and we will have reached that goal because it is Jesus who will bring us to that point. Okay, that's chapter three. And thus it ended with the mindset, the idea that Paul was pushing forward to in striving to live a righteous life. Or we can even say it this way in the stronger context of chapter three, a sinless life pressing toward the mark for the high call of God. All right. So now we're in chapter four. And as I said earlier in the video, this will be our final video in the teaching of the book of Philippians, because I think even though chapter four has some length, quite simple, uh, uh, Paul gives final words uh, of unity and striving for peace and working together. And then in the last section, he talks, he gives uh, gratitude for the gift that the Philippians have sent to him through Epaphroditus. So it is very simple. So we should be able to finish this in short order. All right, so let's start. Number one, chapter four. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Now, even though verse number one is a beginning of chapter four, Actually, he is giving reference to the final things that he was saying in chapter three, those final things. Remember, we talked about striving to live a sinless life, to press toward the mark for the high call of God. And so this is the encouragement that he is giving to them. He's kind of wrapping it up and saying, do these things, strive to live for Christ Jesus best you can with all that you got. Okay. Now, verse number two. As we begin this section, final section, I urge Judea and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So here he urges unity and peace. And there, there's a mention here, Judea and Syntyche. These were two women who clearly were, were of some sense of some sense of reputation or great aid to the apostle Paul. And something has occurred in the church that Paul is not making mention of. Something has occurred and these two women are in disagreement with one another to such a point that is causing a disturbance in the church. And thus, Paul writes to these two women to live in peace. Whatever the disagreement is among you two, squash it, uh, settle it, and live in peace in Christ Jesus. And because these two women have been very beneficial to Paul, Paul is not trying to uh, denigrate the names of the uh, names or reputation or the works of these two women, but he's just simply saying, you guys are acting up in the church. You're causing problems. Get it together. But to the rest of the Philippian congregation, help these two women. Why? Because these two women have been very much an aid to me in the gospel. They share with me in my struggle in the gospel. And Paul also brings the notice of the notation to Clement, as well as the rest of the fellow workers that he talks about to others who also help him in the gospel. And he says, whose names are written 
in the book of life. Okay, so he's simply saying, and this goes, this goes again to, we talked about this too, go back and check out that introduction when we talked about the themes in the book of Philippians. We see this in chapter two, uh, when Paul urges unity, and here he urges unity in the body, especially with these two women who are causing some sense of dissension in the church. So this goes again uh, to buttress that theme of unity. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here, Paul begins this particular section with joyous thanksgiving. He, he, commands them because this is an imperative verb that is being used here to rejoice in the Lord, regardless to circumstances, regardless to condition of life, always be grateful, be thankful in the Lord. And this has an appeal when we understand Paul's condition. Remember, this letter to the Philippian is one of Paul's imprisoned epistles. That is, he wrote this epistle from his first Roman imprisonment. Thus, even as Paul, he talked about it in chapter one, how he rejoices that the gospel is being preached. And one of the themes that we've talked about in the introduction of this epistle is joy. He even speaks of the Philippians as his joy. But nevertheless, <laughs> joy in the Lord. So he tells them to rejoice. So as I was saying, Paul in Roman, in Roman imprisonment was able to rejoice in his circumstances. And so he uses that to tell the Philippians that no matter what your circumstances are, you are always able to have joy in the Lord. And it takes my mind back to Jesus when Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross. Now think about what I'm saying. Jesus himself was getting ready to go to the cross. And what did he say to his disciples? My joy I give unto you, my joy. So Jesus possessed joy, not happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. Happiness is based on the situation, whatever you're going through at the moment. And basically it is emotion based, but this is not what we have in Christ Jesus. We have an inset joy given, given by God because of our salvation in Christ Jesus in all of the hopes that we have in Christ Jesus, both in the present hope as well as in the future hope. So therefore we can always rejoice because we have an inset joy in our salvation. But anyway, and then he talks about that gentleness that should be made known. That is who we are in Christ Jesus our hope in Christ Jesus and even in the manner of life that we live 
for Christ Jesus. Let this be made known to all men. Why? The Lord is near. And Paul speaks of that with a sense of urgency to make us always is in the same way that Jesus did to make us always uh, aware and alert that the Lord can come at any time. And with thus, I speak of the rapture of the church. Thus, the Lord is near. Always be ready to live that right. Let me make the digression back to Jesus. When Jesus talks about the preparation he would always give in his final teaching, in his final five days of life, when he did his teaching in the parables about preparedness and readiness, that is like the virgins who needed to be ready, the 10 virgins, five wise, five foolish. And the point was to be always ready. Why? For you don't know the hour to the which your Lord will come. This is that same vein of teaching that Paul is making when he says the Lord is near. And then finally, he says to be anxious for nothing. And that is, and you understand the sense of anxiousness brings in the sense of worriedness. Again, this reflects the teaching of Jesus. Remember when Jesus talked about uh, not being worried how that God prepares, God will prepare for you, God will provide for you. That is, if God provides, he clothes with beauty flowers that are here today and thrown in the oven tomorrow. If God provides, feeds little birds who are insignificant, how much more will God provide for you? And this is the sense of what Paul is talking about here when he says to be anxious for nothing. Because why? Don't worry about things because it is a reflection of unbelief of not believing God. And let me slow that part down again. Whenever we worry, it is a reflection. It is a, it is the evidence that we are not trusting God with whatever that particular area is that we're worried about in our life. Thus we are command. We are always commanded, trust God, believe in God and understand whatever it is, God is superintending the events in our lives. That is, God is handling everything. Thus, never worry. Never worry about food, clothing, or whatever. God is aware and God will provide according to his riches and glory. And this is kind of the same thing that Paul is talking about here. But let's get back to the text. But instead of worrying, notice, Bring it to God in everything by prayer. Put it before God and supplication. Make your knees known to God. And notice what he says. With thanksgiving, let these requests be made known to God. So you bring it to God in prayer. You tell God what you need. And with thanksgiving, and let me emphasize that even with the apostle Paul. Why? Again, Paul say, says in another of his epistle, first, first Thessalonians, I believe it's in chapter five. He says in everything, give thanks in what? Not some things, not the things that you like, not the things that you might deem as pleasant and the things that make you happy. No, 
He said, in everything give thanks. Why? Because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you for your life. That is, it goes back to the statement that I just made. We understand that God is superintending the events of our lives. God is orchestrating. God is aware and God is moving us along the path that he desires for us to walk. Thus, to not be thankful is to in somehow rebel against the will of God, reject God's sovereign direction for our lives. But, it, and we already know what, again, let's keep going with this. All things work for the good of those who love the Lord, to those who are the called according to God's grace. God is working these things in a manifold way for our good. Thus, what should be our response? Even when, let us go back to the Israelites as they left Egypt in the wilderness, when they had no food, when they had no water, let us not be like them to murmur and complain, but do what? What they should have done. What is Paul saying here? In everything, tell God, thank you, because all of these things are working for our good. Okay. So he's just simply saying, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And when you pray, you already know that God is, God is taking care of you. Tell him, thank you. Give thanks for all of these things. And he says, what will be the result of these prayers? What will be the result when we take our cares and concern to God with thanksgiving, knowing that God loves us, knowing that God is, as I said before, superintending all of the events of our lives. God is handling it. What is the result of these things? The peace of God that surpasses all comprehension. It guards the heart and the mind in Christ Jesus. We have peace. We have peace that we ourselves don't even understand it. And it is the peace that God gives the person who trusts him. It is the peace that God gives to the individual who has gratitude for all that God has done from, for God's salvation and for God's guiding him through the roads of temptation, through the path of trouble, because all of these things are being engineered by God to give us strength, to transform our lives, to make us into better Christians that we can live more honorable lives in the presence of Jesus Christ. So God is doing all of these things. And so what happens? You pray, you give it to God. There is a supernatural peace that just simply overcomes you. A peace that surpasses all comprehension. You won't even understand why you feel so at rest. And it's because God gives peace to those who trust him and are thankful to him for everything that he does.
Okay, now let's bring this section to a close. Finally, brethren, verse number eight, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, so now he ends this section. That's why we can see the word finally. He says, what, whatever is true, the things that are true. That is, to, notice he says, dwell on these things, logistic. That is, to think on these things. Let it form the very basis of how you think. What should form the very basis of how we think? Things that are true, things that are honorable, right, pure, and that idea of purity comes from holy, lovely, and of good repute. These should be the manner into which the Christian mind should dwell on, should think about. It should form the very foundation of how we think. And notice this is literally the opposite of fleshy things, sinful things, worldly things. This is the mind of God's people. And then he just simply says, if things are worthy of praise, think about that. Dwell on these things. Let it be the way that you think. And then he urges finally in the end of the section that everything that they have seen and heard and, and that has come from him, let this be an example to them and conform your life to follow after Paul. It's kind of like when Paul simply says, follow me as I follow Christ. So Paul sets forth himself as an example to godly living in every aspect, in every aspect. Notice what you learned, what you received, what you heard, and what you have seen in me, in every aspect, Paul sets himself forward as an example for them to follow, example of righteous living. And thus, in living this manner, God will be with you. That is, that fellowship that we are having with God will be maintained, will be maintained. All right, now let's bring it to an end to the final section in this epistle, which is another primary reason for the writing of this epistle. Verse number 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of both having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Okay, so now Paul opens this section in this basically farewell address in the letter with the, the sense of saying thank you. 
He is simply thanking the Philippians for the gift that they have sent him. And remember, it is Epaphroditus who is a member of the Philippian church. The Philippians sent Epaphroditus to minister to Paul during his imprisonment. And they sent Epaphroditus with a gift, a monetary gift to help Paul in his ministry. Okay. And so Paul is just simply telling them, thank you for the gift that you have sent me. And he said, and I understand that you wanted to send me a gift earlier, even before now, but you just didn't have the chance to do it. And then Paul in verse number 11 begins to say that I'm not so much trying to seek after a gift. I'm not doing this. I'm not simply saying this. My ministry is not about you giving me something and I'm not just trying to, Oh, well, and I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining because of my impoverished condition for the moment, for the moment, not that I speak from one. So I'm not complaining about this now. Why is it? Cause I've learned to be content. I've learned to be content when I have everything that I need. And I've learned to be content when I lack the things that I need. And so what Paul, and you can understand again, remember when I was just telling you guys about Paul was telling them, he was admonishing them, commanding them to be thankful, to rejoice in the Lord and in everything, give thanks, be grateful, bring your prayers to God. How? With thanksgiving, thanksgiving. And remember all of that, that I was just saying how it is God who is superintending your life. That path in, in road that you're going down right now, God has sent you down that road according to his will for his purposes. And again, we know that God is only doing things to help them. So notice now take all of that in consideration when Paul is saying, I'm not speaking because I lack things. Why? Paul is saying, I have learned how to get along when I have stuff, when I have what I needed, I have learned to be thankful to get along when I suffer lack. God is aware of my needs. Thus Paul understands and Paul lives the life depending on God to supply his need. He understand that if he is suffering need, lack, poverty, God is taking him through these things. And if he is experiencing abundance, it is God who is supplying such things through others or whatever means that God is doing it. Thus, Paul is saying what? I know how to get along with humble, with suffering lack. I know how to get along when I'm doing great. Why? Because God is supplying or God is allowing me to suffer something. So it doesn't matter whatever the circumstances are because what God enables me to deal with it. And that's when he gives that principle statement principle. I can do verse number 13, all things through Christ who gives me the strength that is, I can suffer 
need. I can suffer an impoverished state. I can suffer lacking things. God knows. God knows. God knows. And I can enjoy and do well when I have plenty. God has supplied. So whatever the state is of my and now we understand that's why I said the statement is a principal statement. But here the context is monetarily money. It's about having things. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. So Paul says I can do well whether I have it or whether I don't have it because Jesus is right there strengthening me. He is taking me through these things. Okay. Verse number 14. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know Philippians that in the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone for even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit, which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and I have an abundance and I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, that was a little lengthy reading, but it was all it was pretty much necessary because of the tight context here. But so he co continues on. Remember, he first he began in this section, verse number 10, talking about thank you for the gift that you sent me. And then he kind of digressed and began to say, but even though you sent me the gift and I am appreciative, I'm not trying to say this because I don't have anything. Why? Because I've learned at the times when I don't have anything, I'm thankful and I can get along. And even at the time when I have everything that I need, I'm thankful and I'm able to, of course, to get along because I've learned this particular secret. I depend on Christ and thus in Christ Jesus, I can do well when I don't have, I can do well when I do have, but getting back to the point, you did well when you did send a gift to me. In other words, even though I can get along with not having things, still your sending of this monetary gift to me was a good thing and it was a right thing. And then he makes them aware that no other church uh, uh, sent gifts to him. That is, notice this is what he called the giving and receiving. Uh, Paul uh, uh, gave to them the gospel. They responded in gratitude with their monetary gifts to Paul. Okay, but no other church participated in giving to Paul except the Philippians. So this tells us too, as we see in this letter, the Philippians were a very giving church. They were a very giving church. And just in case, I think I did forget it. And this is why we can understand 
uh, uh, how Paul referenced the Philippians in verse number one of chapter four. And I didn't put enough emphasis on that. When Paul called them his joy, his crown, his, his crown and his joy. So Paul truly had an affection for this church and this church had a true affection for Paul. And you can see this being expressed to them as Paul would be in his missionary journeys. And what Paul is re reflecting to here is in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, how when Paul came to the church of Philippi, how they sent to Paul once and again, a monetary gift to assist Paul in his preaching of the gospel. But let me go back to the text. In verse number 15. So this is no other church did this, but the Philippians. And not only did they send to Paul then, but also Acts chapter 17, when Paul was in Thessalonica, they sent another gift unto Paul. This is a monetary gift. So they were a really huge uh, help to Paul in, in his preaching of the gospel and sending such numbers of gift. They were, they were a bountiful church as for with respect to sending of gift to aid and to Paul. And then Paul reminds them in verse number 17. Again, this is a reflection to motive, to motive and the purity of heart. And it also reflects all the way back to chapter one. And even again in chapter three, when Paul talked about, false preachers of the gospel or those who had wrong motives for their preaching. They would do it for self glory or they would do it for some benefit to themselves. So again, the purity of motive reflected here when Paul says, not that I seek the gift itself. Paul was not motivated in his actions, in his preaching of the gospel, or even in making them aware simply so that they would send him something. Paul was not motivated by money. Whether you sent him something or not, he would still preach the gospel and he would still have that same pastoral care for the church regardless. And we can definitely see that in Paul with the Corinthian church, because we'll notice something altogether different from the Corinthian church. Cause when Paul went to the Corinthians, he refused, this is first Corinthians chapter nine. He refused any type of monetary support from the Corinthians, lest they might say that Paul did it for the wrong reason. And, and Paul's motives were impure, things like that. And, and the Corinthians were selfish and prideful and things like that. So, okay, let me get back to the point because when you think about the Corinthian church, mostly everything that Paul said to them, both letters, first and second Corinthians, not hardly any of it, hardly any of it was good. But going back, Paul was not seeking, he was not preaching for a monetary gain but Paul was seeking the gain of those he preached to. The true gain Paul was looking for was not to fatten his pocket like you see in these prosperity preachers today. Joel Osteen and, and the Kenneth Copelands and all of that. You know, you can go on and on and on. They, they preach prosperity because they seek prosperity. 
This is not what Paul was seeking. Paul was seeking the prosperity and it was the spiritual prosperity, not the monetary prosperity. Paul was seeking the spiritual prosperity of those that he preached to. Then he says, but I have received everything. So what? Epaphroditus brought the gift from the Philippians to the apostle Paul. And he was simply saying, I received that gift and it was a wonderful gift. It was a bountiful gift and it more than it was more than adequate. It amply supplied all my needs. You gave me. So whatever they sent to him, it was a significant amount, whatever they did. And Paul was simply saying, okay, I have everything that I need. That's enough. You have done wonderful. Notice how Paul was not greedy, was not trying to get them to keep doing more and 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 more. And more. But anyway, and notice how he speaks of their gift in the in the language in Levitical uh, 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 worship. And when I say Levitical worship, I don't have time to break it all down, but it gives the sense of it takes you all the way back to when the Levitical priests would do worship at the altar through the offering of sacrifices. So he speaks of it in sacrificial language. He speaks of their giving to him in the sense, in the language of sacrifice, like when the Levitical priest would offer up something on the offering, if it was done in accordance with the law, it would be it would rise up before God. The, the, the very odor of the smoke of that offering would rise up before God as an odor that was well pleasing to God. And this is the language that Paul is using here. Your gift to me is a sacrifice that is well pleasing to God. And thus he says what? And God will respond to what you have done for me. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That is God will reciprocate as you have given to the minister, to the man of God, as you have given to me in my service in the gospel. God is not unfaithful to forget all of your works of righteousness. God is not unfaithful to forget your sacrifice of service. God will reciprocate. He who sows sparingly, 2 Corinthians, I believe, chapter 9, will what? Reap also sparingly. And he who sows bountifully, generously, will reap also what? Bountifully, generously. Again, my God will supply all your needs. God will remember this service and this sacrifice. God remembers your giving, your giving. And the context is to the ministry, to the work of the gospel, to the man of God. All right. Now let's complete it with the final greetings from the saints. Now to our God and father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Attached. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. 
all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And that always makes me emotional when I read the ending of every letter. I just love the way Paul gives a final greeting in the name of Jesus. But anyway, he just simply says those who are, he says for number one, you greet all of the saints of God, greet every saint, be hospitable to all of God's people. And then the brethren who are with me, they send their greetings along with all of the rest of the saints. Noted, especially those of Caesar's household. And this takes our mind all the way back again to chapter one, when Paul says, you know, even though a lot of bad things has happened to me, that is Paul was imprisoned. We find that out. Uh, Acts chapter with the 21, when Paul fell into this imprisonment, but Paul says, but his Roman imprisonment has turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. That is those who are of Caesar's household are now hearing the gospel and some of them have responded in faith and are now saved. And this and so Paul, this is chapter one when Paul was saying, so my imprisonment had some good things about it. Thus, in the end of this letter, those of Caesar's household. So some of those Roman soldiers and people who are in some way or another related with Paul's imprisonment, they are now saved and they are, and, and you can see the cheerfulness with Paul, and they say, tell the Philippians, we said hello to, hello to our fellow brothers. And you can see that uh, uh, swelling in Paul's heart. The grace of our Lord, the divine title for Jesus. Jesus is God. Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, the title that is given to his humanity as the Messiah, the full proper name, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you Philippians. Amen. All right. Thank you guys for joining me with the teaching of Philippians. I truly hope that your heart has been blessed in these teachings. And if your heart has indeed been blessed, consider supporting this ministry. And I can say also like Paul and my God will supply all your needs through his riches and glory. And also remember to hit that like and subscribe button in YouTube so that the gospel, so that these teachings can go to all of God's people in this media format. All right, God bless you guys. See you next time.